Hey guys, we produce this podcast for no other reason than to have a positive impact on the lives of you guys, the listeners, by sharing the stories and lessons of some incredible business owners. If you'd like to support our show, please head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate us five stars and leave a review. Your review would be greatly appreciated and keeps us going. And now back to the show. Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with Cub member Lawrence Michalizzi, founder of Soulbox, a SaaS company that helps any business that transports things to reduce the time, cost, and carbon footprint of those transfers. We discuss the secrets to a successful co-founder to co-founder relationship. We discuss the challenging times between starting a business and actually getting that business to work, something most entrepreneurs have experienced. The importance of saying no to customers and how listening to people's problems can lead to your next big idea. Lawrence has built a very impressive technology company and found an extraordinary niche in his market. There's lots we can learn from his story. Enjoy the show. Can you just properly explain to me what your company does? Because I know it is a SaaS business and it's a technology business that helps uh, like logistics companies, from what I understand, move, like get their trucks places faster. Yep. Is that correct? Or what exactly do you do? Yeah. So there's there's two facets to our business. One is um, a hardware and a software facet for fleet management. So GPS tracking, asset management. So taking care of um, your vehicles and drivers effectively. So service maintenance, anything related to a vehicle, um, making sure that driver's license are renewed and things like that. So anything that uh, typically is been done historically by um, spreadsheets. Now it's in a software and, and the GPS tracking devices that go into powered assets or non-powered assets, they're reporting in real time to be able to get that data from the field and be able to, to make um, proactive decisions in the business, but then have reporting. So that's one part of the business. And um, that's uh, sort of my history and that's where I've, where, I've, where I've come from. But the other part of the business is around um, more last mile delivery logistics. So um, the, the term last mile now is um, used for when there's a there's a, a warehouse or, or something related to that needs to get a product from there to an end user, whether it be a consumer or to a, a business. So our software essentially takes orders from um, businesses' external systems, so their, their e-commerce system, their ERP system, their um, point of sale system, and our software takes all the data from those those orders and, and helps them plan it effectively, tells them how many vehicles they need to do the deliveries, the sequence to do it in, and then delivers it um, to a driver app, and that driver app then completes it. And then the customer experience ties into the whole you know, Domino's and Uber where they can track their order approaching. So okay. it basically allows every business to have the ability to be um, digital no matter, the, no matter their size. And so, so to sum it up, it helps if, if you're a business that's sending something to someone, it helps that thing get there faster and helps you, yeah, helps it get there faster, cheaper, and it makes the customer experience better. Exactly. And yeah. So essentially we're digitizing the process. We're automating as much as possible in the process to eliminate the manual processes. And then we're transforming the customer experience so that without having to call and chase an order, you can just check a link and it gives you the updated um, information until it arrives at your door. That's wild. How does one get into that business? <laughs> um, so my my background was around GPS tracking and fleet management, working with TomTom um, back in 2012. So I was uh, working with some guys that brought the product over from, from Europe. And, um, yeah, it was just around GPS tracking and asset management. And it was pretty – 
static information, meaning that it would tell you where a vehicle is and where it's been, but it will never tell you what it's doing or where it's going next. So a lot of the businesses that we're working with found that the, the problems they were encountering were around everything being manual and everything being a little bit um, reactive when it comes to trying to manage drivers and orders and customer expectations. So, yeah, we saw a bit of a, an opportunity to, to, build the, to build some software that closed the gap. And then uh, after doing some market research and looking at different um, products that were out there and different requirements that businesses needed, we, we started you know, building out a solution that did more than just that. We it tied into the other areas around safety and compliance and customer experience was, was a big part of it. So you were working at TomTom? Yeah, working for a, a, essentially a, we had the exclusive distribution rights right. in Australia and New Zealand. And, and uh, how old were you at that point? About 21. So you're real young. Yeah. yeah. Gee, so you were identifying market trends pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty young. And so you basically said, wow, this is cool. I'm already in this space. Mm. I'm, I'm in the GPS space and tracking systems. And you noticed that businesses weren't being provided uh, an element of the service that they actually wanted from TomTom and decided to go and build that that element yourself. Yeah, correct. I mean, I, I can't take all the credit. A lot of our clients were, were, were the ones that were telling us what they needed and we could see where it was headed. And um, a lot of businesses that were doing work for, for bigger companies, the bigger companies were saying, hey, we need digital signatures now. We need to be notified about these things in real time. So um, we were, the, the market sort of um, was changing and, and businesses that needed it were in our in our remit and we just sort of worked with them closely to to build out what we knew we needed to do. But see, I think that's really interesting because – you know, you don't actually have to be, sometimes you don't have to be uh, this visionary genius that can just see the gap that other people can't see to create a business. You know, often, like probably 99% of the time, people are telling you, oh, I really wish I had this. Or I really, this mm. is a big problem for us. Like sometimes you just need to listen to your customers. Mm. And if you're, um, if you're, I actually read something the other day and I can't remember where I read it from or who wrote it, but it was someone famous. I can't remember, but they basically said, if you want to start a business, get a, a notepad and a pen and take it with you every day for a month. Mm-hmm. And every time you're annoyed, write it down, <laughs> you know, and eventually you're going to find something that you're regularly annoyed at and you can create a solution to, for the market to solve that problem, yeah. you know, or to improve that side. If you're waiting too long at the valet car park in the city, yeah, that's probably a harder one to improve. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I actually, it's funny you mentioned that, I actually used to do that a lot. I used to have notepad and pen. I mean, I think I heard it on a, I don't know, one of those gurus years ago saying something like that, which is more around journaling your thoughts. And I used to do that all the time. And I've still got things that I wrote down back in 2012 that was around actually going to throw the towel in because I wasn't getting the – fulfillment out of it because I was actually quite young business businesses didn't take me seriously when I was 21 so I found it quite hard I bet I was gonna I was gonna actually throw the towel in so it wasn't until about 23 24 until I had the idea and and we started pursuing it but before that it was tough but we would we were I think the one one of the strengths was around just talking to businesses and having those relationships and giving them the I guess understanding of that we weren't just a we because because we weren't just the the, the product we weren't Tom Tom we were the solution provider so asking them the right questions they would then you know unpack these things with us and we would you know look for them in the market to see what was there to try and sell them something so for for me it was just you know trying to trying to sell I was just trying to sell to back then make money really that that's what it was about but then the opportunities sort of presented themselves and then 
we saw that there was, you know, some some key customers that we could start this with, which is where where the idea sort of um, was born. And tell me about your journaling. So what do you journal? Because I'm a massive, massive fan. I mean, I, I journal a lot. Yeah. And I think it's one of my favourite things. I I think it's one of the best things I ever do. Mm. What type of things would you journal? These days it's, it's a little bit different to what it was back then. Now there's a bit more structure. Before it was just about um, what I was thinking and feeling at the time and, and – if I had an idea, I'd try and write down one idea a day. That was what I was trying to do back then. Um, and you know, some of the ideas made no sense if you look at them now. But um, now it's around, I mean, I'm big on gratitude. So three gratitude things I'm grateful for every day. Um, I think that's that's really important just to start. And then, um, I mean, without getting <laughs> too deep, but it's around, you know, how you're feeling at the time, um, you know, what went well yesterday, what's the plan for today? And then, you know, if there's things you want to move towards or move away from, um, if I keep that as a, as a sort of a standard and then anything that comes to mind around that, I'll just jot it down. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it does. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a huge journaler. I'm obsessed with the idea of like my grandkids being able to see what was going through my head and the goods and the bad situations that were happening to me in life and how I was thinking about them and dealing mm. with them. Imagine if you could do that. Like, imagine if you could read something that you know, your mm. ancestors were 100%. going through. You'd really have insight. Like you'd probably learn a lot. So I'm 100%. really, yeah, I think it's, really I think obsessed it's, with that idea. Yeah, it's, it's very therapeutic I think for, you know, as men, we don't really talk a lot. To, we, we do, but we don't, if that makes sense. So you, talk a lot of shit. We talk a lot of shit, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, you, you, you find it hard to actually – go through what's going on and, and even, you know, you, just writing it down sometimes just clears it. You don't really need to talk about it again. So um, that's a big part of, of what I do every day. I, I, find, I find it also helps solve, like helps when I write what's going on, it will help me solve problems and like help me like write solutions. Like, mm. okay, this is what I'm going to do. This yeah. is what's happening. This is what I'm going to do. And then it's interesting because then, you know, a day later or whenever, you know, a week later you can come back and you can write what actually happened. Mm. <laughs> so, I, I write questions all the time, mm. like just things that I don't know the answer to. Sometimes just putting it out there as a question and then, yeah, like you said, you read it a couple of weeks later and you're like, oh, that makes sense now or, or that's how it unfolded. Yeah. And how do you think the writing has impacted you as a, as a person or as a business person? It's probably calmed me down a lot during the day just because I'm not thinking uh, it started originally where I was just when I couldn't sleep, I'd just write down whatever I was thinking about just to get it off my head. And then I think, again, I read that somewhere that it helps sleep. So then I started feeling like it would calm me down a bit from what um, yeah, what was going on at the time. And now it's just it's kind of just a habit, really. I mean, the notes on my phone um, is where it starts and then it ends in a book. I do that too. <laughs> How wild is that? The notes in my phone are unbelievable. Like it's <laughs> And you know what I like about notes in your phone? You can – trace the time and date you wrote it like even years and years later you know exactly where you came I still have the original note of when I came up with cub the the, not even the business idea like just the name uh, in my phone like on the day I can't remember what the date was it was like uh, I think it was in March of 2014 or something like that and it's still sitting there in my notes isn't that cool that's awesome yeah and so you're 21 you 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 were trying to get in, in into the business uh, what? How, how long did it take you to actually go from idea um, to kind of functioning business? Um, it was probably a two-year sort of ordeal around a few false starts, a few, um, yeah, we had yeah, finding finding the right developers to, to start building it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a slow start, but um, we were we were out there selling the idea as if we had already built it. So when it came to the product being ready to to be used, we'd already had our first ten customers. So it was, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. Put it that way. I just think that sometimes people think that when you start, you know, it's supposed to start really quickly. But I, I always think it's important to like kind of address like, you know, from when you start, it actually does normally take like two years of, of, you know, hard work. And yeah. I, like we said, false starts, mm. you know, like we've done how many, Laura can attest to this, how many false starts have we done on things? Like, you know, you, you, you but, but I think it's important to false start because mm. at least you started. As long as you fail forward. Yeah. That's and you it. keep pushing forward. That's it. Yeah. I think, I think if I would have known what was involved, I probably wouldn't have done it. You know, I say that loosely, but like the amount of challenges and tribulations and ideas that weren't the right ideas and people that were not the right people. Like if I would have known what I had to go through, I probably would have been like, okay, maybe I'll wait until I'm a bit more set up or whatever to do this or go and get an investor to throw all the money in and, and take most of the risk. Whereas we didn't do any of that. And that was probably to our detriment when it came to looking, you know, to expedite the plan quicker once we knew what we were doing. But before that, like we failed a lot of things and, you know, we're lucky to actually have got through those times, to be honest. It was, it was one of those things where we had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing. And so, how did you get through them? What got you through them? <laughs> um, we'd all, I mean, I was always told just you can keep selling your way out of things. So we were selling solutions other than what our product was at the time still. So we were using that to sort of fuel the, the business plan and, and the product essentially to, to build out the product. Um, so then it was always just a, it, it was a, it was a fine line between, um, what we were trying to do and what we was, what we were saying we were doing, if that makes sense. So it was, yeah, we, we, we taking it till you make it. Yeah, it was, yeah. To a degree. Yeah. But, but not, but you know, no one, no one was affected in the process, which was the main thing. So we were always quite transparent with people that we were working with around where we we're at with the product and what we were doing. Um, but mentally, how did you get through it? Cause I mean, I know the feeling too. And, and I mean, I reckon mo pretty much every business owner would know the feeling. It kind of gets to a point where you're like, wow, I've been doing this for a while. I'm definitely not where I thought I'd be or want to be. Mm. And I still don't feel like this is working, you know, and that happens a few times. Like how, what was it that made you not stop, give up and keep going? Um, it's a good question. I think it's just it's just in my DNA. Like I'm, I'm pretty tenacious when it comes to those sort of things. I'm, if I've got a, I've got my mindset on something, I just you know, pull out all the stops. So it was more just a personal achievement. I wanted to keep building. I mean, it was it was it was never an option really for me because I knew that the other alternative was going back to you know just being a salesperson. That wasn't very fulfilling for me long term. So I knew that this was the time that I would either you know make it work or you know learn a lot of lessons. So I just thought I'd just keep pushing forward. Do you think as a business owner, like sometimes, or the type of people that anyway want to do business or entrepreneurship, they kind of have like an image of themselves where they see themselves in like, this is how I feel like I should, this is where I feel like this, like they see themselves in a, in a high light and like a, you know, I feel special and therefore like I, I, I don't want to do the regular. I, I can't, like you said, it's not an option. I have to figure this out because mm. I have to fulfill how I view myself. Do you feel like there was an element yeah. of that? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think that's in any, in any um, business owner or entrepreneur, if you want to use that, I mean, there's, there needs to be a, a deeper desire than, than just trying to do something. There has to be, and I feel like 
like for me, there was always no other option because like that's just the, the life I wanted to create and the, the lifestyle I wanted to create, even though you got completely like no time because you're always working, but that's what I wanted. If that made sense, it was so like it comes from within. It doesn't come. It's not an idea. It's, it's kind of like a, <laughs> it's an obsession, I think. Yeah. Well, I like that. It comes from within. It's yeah. like, I view it like as a, a self-realization, mm. you know, I want to realize the vision of myself that I, I think I could be. And, mm. and I think business is how I could realize that type of thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? When you're making a big enough change as well, when, you, when you're when seeing small, like I think it's like breaking it down to the small wins. So you can have your big objectives and your big outcomes, but if you've got some small wins and you're meeting those small wins and you, and you get in some, you know, like, um, instant gratification from, you know, being able to um, uh, see your, some of your work paying off or get good feedback um, or just be be content with your, with a day's work. It's enough to get you up to go again. So I still think today I'm like, I don't know how we still go each day and just have the same motivation that we had in 2016. It's like, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild thought, but obviously is enough there to, to keep pushing. So I feel like that's what has to come from within. It's not like, it can't just be what's on the paper because otherwise on the paper, sometimes it's like, that doesn't make sense. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to articulate. Yeah, it. it is, but I understand exactly. Uh, I relate exactly to what you're saying. I reckon a lot of people do. And so where's the business now? So you push through the fire. Yeah. So where, yeah. Where, where are you guys now? Yeah, so, we, so we're so we in Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah, Australia-wide in New Zealand. Um, we've launched a, a customer in the UK and uh, we, we sort of – ready to, to scale the business. Um, we've never raised capital, so we're we're looking to, to raise capital now to expand and, and scale. We're sort of going through that now at that scale phase. So we found product market fit uh, a couple of years ago, exactly where we wanted to assist businesses and, and the market we wanted to go after. So now we're just around, um, yeah, push, pushing uh, on that, all, all on a sort of everything's pushing towards this product market fit that we found and then we're just looking at, okay, how can we, find the right distribution relationships, find the right um, markets to hit and then get the right investment to to approach that correctly. So um, so basically the first step was get enough money through the door so that we can find product market fit, so we can survive to find product market fit. Then you got product market fit and you started selling and turning the company successful, making money and, and, and uh, yeah. at least generating good revenue and hiring. How big is the team now? There's about 16 of us. So you're hiring a lot of people yeah. and doing that type of thing. And so now you're at the stage where it's like, okay, we've got the product, we know our market, we've got a team, mm. you know, we've been through the fire, <laughs> it's time to explode. Yeah, yeah that, that's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, everything's like we're 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 starting to get the the growth rate that we planned, which was which was important. Um, and for us, it was all about profitability. We, we it's sort of a little bit untraditional in the way where we or, or traditional where we, we were all about you know, generating profit instead of trying to just a software business at no profit and then, you know, run out of money and then have to, you know, Race. Beg, beg, borrow and yeah. steal to keep the, the business going. So that was, yeah, that was a big thing for us so that we had stability and, and that sort of saved us when it came to times like COVID when we were doing a lot in the in the food service sector and that, that basically fell off a cliff. So um, we were lucky enough that we were able to, um, yeah, we, we had we had already diversified our offering to, to – different parts of the market. So we were ready to go in that regard, but, you know, there was definitely a, a shake up and, and being a small business, you know, it's hard to try and, um, 
yeah, you, you haven't got you haven't got big savings to, to do things to pivot. So we're lucky enough that we're diversified prior, but we're also profitable. So we were able to sit, sort of sit tight and weather, weather the storm. Mm. Yeah. And product market fit, that's, it's almost an ever-elusive animal, the old product mm. market fit. And how did you actually find it? Because often it's about finding a very niche segment of the market and then building a very niche product to start and then and then growing on that. But most people think or a lot of businesses, sorry, uh, get scared about getting too niche because they're worried about, oh, but I'm going to miss on selling to all these other people. Mm. You know, how, what was your process of finding product market fit? Um, we were just really open to hearing about different business problems and then we we looked at what we'd already built based on – so a lot of our product was built off the back of customer problems and, and talking to customers and building out what they – where they knew that – we knew they needed – which is around basically digitization and automation and, and routing optimization. But then finding product market fit was around, okay, what businesses are out there investing in an ERP system, which is like a, a total uh, platform for their business to run. What does that stand for? So, uh, enterprise, enterprise resource planning. So it's kind of like CRM, mm-hmm. but it's like a, a CRM sort of sits within an ERP. But a, a big businesses, so Microsoft has a big you know, ERP service and NetSuite and Pronto. And there's big companies out there, the biggest companies in the world are, are ARP companies, um, some of anyway. Um, so those businesses would invest in this ERP system and, and it's, you know, you don't get much change from half a million dollars for a business to roll it out. And they would then be told, you know, um, still press print on, on an invoice or, or a job sheet to you, for your warehouse to then pick and pack. So the where we came, where came in is basically we pull the data from their ERP and we digitize that process until it gets to their customer. So for us, it was around finding businesses that had an ERP system that was pressing print on an invoice or a sales order, whatever it is, and we'd come in at that point. So a lot of businesses that were um, logistics-related businesses by default, so they were delivering food service products to businesses, they were delivering building material products to to job sites, Um, they were delivering any sort of um, transportation product, but it was... Um, very manual process where they would not have any sophistication around when an order comes in to an order going out, it would just be somebody sitting there shuffling paperwork on a table. And typically it'd be very manual and very time consuming. And then as they made changes in their business or, or day to day, it would be very costly because they'd have to, you know, send out another truck where they might not send, they might not need to send out another truck. So our software basically and, and sort of long-winded answer to product market fit, but it was around finding businesses that had a lot of um, constraints around their logistics and a bit a product that they would they've already invested into, and then we'd go and then and help them get more out of that product by taking those orders and giving them a level of sophistication that was quite simple for them to deploy it. So we we knew that there were certain industries that were investing in that transformation because they were on the rise. So a lot of, you know, building and construction material businesses in the Australian market have done really well. Food service is obviously a, a, a massive industry in the Australian market. So businesses that needed to get their products to site, they needed or to a, or to a business, they had a problem where they didn't do it intelligently. So without having to invest more time and resource into people and um, I guess labor, we would find, we would we would come in and sit right between there for them and, and give them that tool to be able to get rid of that manual process, automate it, digitize it, and then allow them to keep their cost sort of at, at one point and keep growing without having to hire more people to do more manual process. So the product market fit for us was finding those businesses 
and and as, and, and being that um, little um, that gap, filling that gap for them. And how long did that take to find from start to to finding? Um, I mean, we were we were already doing it like without knowing we were doing it, and then we realised when we found some, we had some opportunities that weren't in our sweet spot, and we were like, okay, well, this is outside the realm of what we're doing. And eventually, you know, after a couple of years of of saying no to projects or trying to do projects that wasn't really our our sweet spot, we, we basically said, okay, no more of this, no more of that, just focus in here. So so almost they were the easier ones to serve, you know? Like yeah. They, they liked that product more. We had a bigger impact on them. They were more willing to buy. It's a quicker sales cycle. Yeah. So, more okay, value. bang, that's a good way to find it. Yeah. This, so, this is seeming to work. Yeah. It, it was all, everything, everything we've done is trial and error, failing forward, you know, not, um, not being stubborn with our product and just listening to what, you know, what we've built and what we've got planned to build and not trying to go outside the realms of that, even though customers ask for things that, you know, we haven't got planned and we try to keep everybody happy or we're trying to go, oh, you know, if we did this, it, it might could be in this, but then, you know, yeah. So there's, especially with software because it's so um, labor intensive and you've got to keep investing into it, you have to find product market fit quickly. Otherwise, you're, you're out of the game. Mm. And, and but I like that. You, so a lot of customers ask you for additional features or additional things and saying no to them is hard because you need to keep your product simple, mm. you know, to the point and addressing specific issues that you're addressing. How, how do you yeah, – that doesn't come naturally to people to say mm. no to customers f- for things. Has it ever impacted a customer you saying no or do you think it's always been to the benefit of the customer? Uh, no, so it definitely has affected – customers and we had to um yeah part ways with some customers because of that which which was hard um but not 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 for any other reason besides you know we we weren't the right product um but there's a lot of businesses out there that we know or not a lot of businesses but there's there's other products out there that we are aligned with that we can point them in those directions which is which is what we did um, because it was, you know, it, it, we could make it work today, but, you know, six months from now it would be a bigger problem for us and a bigger problem for them. So it was the right thing to do at the time for those those customers. And what made you know that, though? Because you're losing a customer. Yeah. They're saying, we want this. Can you build this? You're saying, no, we don't build that. How did you know that was the right decision? Because I, I, I knew that the time and effort and headspace required to do, do what they correctly. needed and answer their calls and try and, fit, you know, fit it into um, – the project plan was just, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, wasn't the right decision. And we made a lot of bad decisions earlier on. And it was from making those bad decisions that you learn what not to do. So it was, it was typically, um, an easy decision because we've had the bad decisions made in the past. So it could have, so it could have been not worth the money you were charging the customers because of the problems it would cause. That was that's kind of what I'm getting. At. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're a non-technical founder, is that correct? Like you you don't code or anything like that. No. So, do you have internal um, development staff, or have you outsourced your development staff? Ninety uh, percent are internal, um, and then we've got contractors that we that we use where we need to, um, which are offshore. Uh, so we yeah we. We've got a, a really good some really good partnerships that we can scale up resources we need to. So if we've got a you know, big um, block of work that's coming up, we'll just deploy you know percentage of it to our offshore team, which will basically um, deliver things uh, over you know a six to eight week period, and then we'll yeah 
But your core it. team is internal, your developers. And was that hard to build without knowing how it works? I'm, I'm doing it at the moment, obviously, yeah. with BOA. I, I don't even like technology. I can't figure it out. But, yeah. you know, we're going to have – we're going to have to bring on onto the team uh, more developers and things like that. And so I'm just curious, was it hard to, how do you know if they're good? <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we went through quite a bit like earlier on and that's what was quite expensive. Um, but I think if people that you hired that tight, didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work yeah. out or, um, yeah, yeah you, you, th- think, you think you need someone when you don't um, or a typical skill set when you don't. Um yeah, again, a lot of trial and error. And that's probably, I mean, our, our, if, if we had more experience, the business probably would be in a much different position now than, you know, where we are because of, you know, a bit more experience would have been, would have been obviously very um, beneficial. But I think my, my mindset with this business the whole time when I first started was around, you know, I'll just give it a go and learn as much as I can. And if it fails, it fails, but I'll do something else unless I learn heaps. So because I, I had a semi-technical um, make up because of my background. So previously when I was at the other company I was working with, we were doing a lot of IT solutions as a whole. So it wasn't just um, TomTom equipment. We were doing software and and other IT services. So I was un- I understood IT, um, which was beneficial. And my co-founder, he's actually a CTO. So he's very technical and, and um, you know, I go out and say yes to everybody and he sorts it out. So what, that kind of relationship where – um, you know, he would, he would do make it work. And he was obviously, um, you know, very, very able in that, in that department, which was very beneficial for me because I wasn't. So, um, and but how'd I, you meet him? We worked, we used to work together. At the, at the Tom Tom company. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. So yeah. you guys, so you, the two of you said, wow, we can, I, there's a problem here. You're the tech guy. I can sell. Let's go out on our own and do it. That's yeah. kind of, that, that was the conversation. That was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. is powerful to have that. Yeah. That person. Oh yeah. You know, do you feel like having a co-founder has made the journey easier? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's I think invaluable if you, if if you're aligned and can you know handle the ups and downs together and be able to understand each other deeply. I think it makes a big difference. And you know, the skill sets is really important. So if you, if you if you've got the right skill sets you stay complementary complement, sorry complementary skill sets you stay in your own lane and have you know complete trust in the other person it's yeah invaluable what's some advice i guess you'd have so you you have a very healthy co-founder mm. co-founder to co-founder relationship that's working really well what what are some what's some lessons or advice you could share on how to how to maintain a strong relationship with a co-founder and and and, and work well together yeah um, alignment on goals and objectives long-term. So, you know, one, three, five-year goals need to be aligned. Um, being really transparent on everything and setting boundaries on certain things and just having uh, expectations on each other that you're both aware of and, and are never let down. If they are let down, then you call it out early. Um, we actually had a third a third partner when we first started the business, which was a software developer. So it was a, it was a dynamic trio, software developer, CTO, and, and, a, and a sales guy I thought he could sell. <laughs> so we, um, but pretty early on, we, we found that we weren't aligned. The software developer was doing some other things in his life uh, at the time. And um, yeah, we weren't aligned. So we, we caught it early, which is, which is probably one of the best things that could have happened because it could have been pretty problematic if we didn't. Um, but yeah, to, to your question, it's around, 
complete alignment, complete transparency, complete trust, I think. Yeah, and I love what you said, like alignment with your goals, like with your five-year goals basically. Because if you if if all parties know, and it kind of works with your team too, but if all parties know all want to get to the same place in five years, well, then it's like, okay, well, we're stronger together mm. in order to get there and we're aligned. And as long as we've got like a big thing we're working on a cup this year and I keep hammering it into the team is honesty and communication because when when you can be honest with someone and you do communicate with them, you can squash things early and solve problems early. Like, yeah. for example, you know, the other co-founder wasn't, uh, aligned with our um, vision and and or willing to commit to putting the effort that we were going to put to get there. Therefore, we can finish that relationship early. It's better for that person because they'll go on to do something they want and it's better for us because we're going to be more aligned as a team. I'm finding if it, I've seen in teams when there isn't that honesty in communication, um, it causes major, major problems, especially if people can't communicate to their bosses mm. because – if there's a problem and a team member doesn't tell the boss that they're upset about something or they're, you know, they're not happy about something or, or, or they've got a problem in their life or whatever it may be, the, the boss never knows. And that team member sitting there unhappy. They might get bitter. They might start talking to another team member and it causes this bitterness. And then they're talking to each other about something neither can resolve anyway because, you know, they haven't got the ability to with their roles in the company. And it just causes a big mess. So, I think honesty and communication is something that every leader needs to be drilling into their team and they need to be saying, if something is wrong, you need to tell me. Mm. Like, or, you know, I would love for you to tell me yeah. immediately because I will solve it. You know, yeah. I'll make sure it's better. And and that way when there is a problem, a team member or a co-founder can go to the appropriate person who could do something about it, mm. you know, address the situation, feel comfortable enough to address the situation and enable the the other person to to, to fix that problem. Yeah. I mean, we're all human at the end of the day, right? It's just be having that communi open communication and you know, leaving you know, your ego at the door, I think it is. It's just yeah. having that conversation where it needs to happen and setting the expectations that, you know, it's an open it's an open door. You know, there's a policy here that, you know, if there's something that needs to be spoken about, gets spoken about. I think it's really important. I mean, that's just in life in general, but in business and in team, that's the most important because as soon as there's not alignment or as soon as there's someone who does who feels uneasy, like it falls down, especially when you've got small teams. Like yeah. It, it, it's, it's a big impact. And I just think that um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, that ego at the door is a big thing because especially if you're a leader, so especially if a team member saying, like a staff member's, saying something they're upset about, it's very easy to, to disregard, not disregard, but to disagree with that, with their statement. You might be like, oh no, that's not, that's not what the case is. Like mm. that's, that's not how, you know, no. Um, but sometimes, you know, A, that's your ego, but sometimes it's best to think like, okay, well, while maybe I didn't think that I had done that or that that had happened or whatever it may be, it's not about me. It's about this person and how this person is feeling mm. and and uh, me completely, you know, putting myself in that person's shoes Yeah, and seeing how, well, if I felt that way, how would I feel and how would that impact my my work and my mm. happiness levels? And then coming back to yourself and be like, okay, how can I, how can I help this person? You know, how can I improve yeah. this person? Seek to understand before being understood. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. And that ego at the door, I think that's really important. Cause it's very easy to be like, no, that's not true. You're, you're an idiot. Mm. It's off. You know, but, mm. but it's, it's a lot harder to be like, you know what? I'm going to assume, I'm not going to care about my thoughts right now. I'm going to care about how you're viewing something mm. and I'm only going to care about how I can resolve that issue yeah. for you. Asking yeah. the right questions. Yeah. Come to conflict with question, they say. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of work on like a leadership team training at Cub um, just because we've got a bigger leadership team now and, and more people. And I really believe that. Like the, the more I, even the bigger Cub goes, you know, I focus a lot on, um, strategy and like kind of innovation and ideas. But I reckon most of my role is, is just, is people. Mm. It's like looking forwards at the, at the vision and the plan and strategy forwards and looking backwards at the team to make sure that, you know, everyone's good, everyone's happy, you know, like really, I, I think vision and, and team are like the two most important things you can do as a leader. Mm. And so we've been really trying to work on, um, on, yeah, leadership. Like it's hard because have you guys ever done leadership training in your company or just how do you, how do you kind of improve leadership? Yeah, I think um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a fine line between being a leader and and you know, being able to um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but set, setting the direction and being the the is you know the the. How do I put this in the right words? But I think what you're what you're saying is around being able to you know be that leader and set direction and and have that. You know, there's a, there's always a hierarchy, I believe, but I think that there needs to be a, a flat level of management, meaning how you treat people is the same way. But there needs to be someone who's who's finding that that approach to to leadership each day and, and checking in with the right people each day to making sure that everybody's content. Because I think as when you, you know, I think the definition of a CEO is actually to take care of all the people below, below them, not so much the customers, if that makes sense. Oh, so, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. Cause if your people are good, your customers will be good. Yeah. Like yeah. the people are going to care about the customers and, and with good product or, and operations, well, your, your customers are going to be great. Yeah. So I think, I think as you, as you grow the business, it needs to, that needs to be a big part of your, your planning, because if you adding more people to a, to a, a, an environment where there's no clear leadership and, and people don't feel safe or feel content in their role, then they can't do their best work. So, you know, then, and especially in, in what we do, there is people that work remote and some people that work in, in other States where we haven't got an office um, and making sure that when they're, when they're there, they feel a part of something and feel, you know, they're able to pick up the phone and, and you know, be, you know, pretty, transparent about how they're feeling about something. And I don't know if you have, if you don't, if you don't lead correctly, you don't have that open communication, I think. So, yeah, I think what you're saying is, is really important in today's age with everything that's going on in the world right now around, you know, everyone being equal, there's, there's, <laughs> there's things you need to consider. So there's a different level of leadership than obviously years ago. And, and you, you know, if you watch um, Mad Men compared to, <laughs> compared yeah, to today. things have changed. Things have changed a bit. But I think that there's there's that that shift, you know, we're in the shift right now. It's like it wasn't long ago when that was a big part of the um, commercial culture and the, um, yeah, the, the world that we, you know, the business world. And I think there's uh, a lot to be said about being aware of that and not not letting it just go because, you know, you've know, got a job to do. Everyone's got a job to do. It's like, you know, you just got to, you know, Take take a step 
backwards to, to make sure we're all good and then go forward together. But I like what you said that is, is that these days the world and businesses almost demand great leadership. Leadership, mm. Like they need, they require great leadership. In fact, if you don't have great leadership, you'll fail. Mm. Especially because it's quite easy for people to change jobs. Like it's mm. not like it's a market where, oh, I better keep my job because, you know, I'm not going to be able to get another job. People can get other jobs. Mm. They have to choose to be at your company. Yeah. And you have to give them a reason, give them a reason to, to choose your company. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors that can do that. But I really believe that it, it, it starts and stems from great leadership. It starts yeah. at the top. If people love the leader and, and uh, they create and foster a great culture and they know that that leader is going to squash any problems that come up for them so that, you know, they feel a sense of security and they know that they're valued and can be honest mm. and communicate their thoughts and, and you know, they're, they're, they're growing, they're experiencing, they have new lessons and they have their friends with their team. They bond with their team. Their team helps them through life and work problems. You know, it's very hard to leave a community mm. that is that strong, that has all those features, you know, and, and, and when someone leaves a business, they are leaving a community. They're, they're choosing another community Mm. in replacement of, 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 of the first. Yeah. And so it's like, can I create my community, which is my business, my, my team, can I make my community just so much better than any other community, op any other business like team options mm. that they're not going to leave? And I really think that is, it's, it's great leadership that creates that. Well, it's a big part of what, what employees look for when they're deciding where they want to work or where they want to stay or, you know, if they want to continue on. And or when the times are times are tough, you know, is this going to be the the right environment for me? Or when you know my life changes a little bit and I want to you know, have a baby or something like that. So, you know, you know that you've got the trust in your leaders to be able to support you through that process because it's just you know life happens and you need to be able to know that you're a part of something that uh, is not just about business. It's not just about growth. It's about you know that team culture. And I think you guys do it really well at Cub. I mean, everybody. Um, that you've you've got as your t in the team is very conducive to the greater good, but also they've got a great relationship, and it, it's it's awesome to see. Yeah, well, Cubs had 100% retention for like three years straight. Cubs Cubs team is is oh fucking great leadership. <laughs> 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 but 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 no, what we are good at is community. Yeah. I mean, we're in the people I, business. I'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> We're in people. We're in the people business. Where yeah. community is our business. Yeah. So, we do have um, a very um, sorry, one hundred percent retention uh, minus anyone that we would have let go, which is very few people. But but no one's chosen to leave ever. Right. Um, but I, I think the secret to that is 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 definitely is definitely community. Like, why would I leave somewhere that I'm so there's so much future opportunity. I'm happy and and I'm, I'm 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 safe. Meaning, like I feel protected by my coworkers from my life problems and my work problems. You know, like it, mm. it it's that bond. I, I just think uh, I think that's so important. Um, I, now you mentioned that you have some off, uh, not offshore, um, some remote stuff. Mm. I, I I I've always struggled with that. I don't know anyone that listens to the podcast knows I always whinge about that. How, how is that the first time you've ever experienced working with people that aren't around you? Um, and how do you best do it? Like what, what are mm. some of the secrets to make sure it's good? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, in our, in our world around software development, I, I think that 
it's a it's outcome commonplace. Yeah, it's out, it's outcome based. So it's it's in that regard, it's it's quite simple to to measure. Um, involvement and you know team team spirit is around you know daily stand ups. So just a you know check ins every day, whether it's um, yeah we have a you know you have a standard check in every day team which is typically 15 to 30 minutes um 15 on a good day the whole team together whole team um or t- uh, not the whole team but um different teams that work together um and then yeah you know friday afternoons sort of you know war and peace everyone jumps on and and just what did you call it war and <laughs> war and peace what's that i don't, I don't know and i know an old, we said doing back in in the sales days it was like friday you just war and peace is around you know all the all the the good and bad things that happen you know let's talk about it and just let it all out and close the week off so it's just a, a good way to um you know feel content with whatever happened that week yeah, yeah, I like that. And you do that as a team in as a in, team. A, in a online meeting. Online meeting, yeah. Some people are together, um, but yeah, it really depends what's going on at the time as well. Because yeah, we've because of again because it's software. Like there's there's teams that you know don't need to. It's it's not as not as productive. That that's the biggest thing as well. Productive and cost. You know when with when COVID hit, we reduced our our office size. So it's it was kind of like the natural progression that would have teams working remotely. Um, and just with talent that we wanted to to work with was, you know, not all in one location. So you know, there's, there's some companies in our in our uh, industry that do some similar thing to us where they're fully remote. They're fully remote, and I think there's ways around it. I think from a sales perspective, it's different because you want that you know uh, environment, energy. that energy. Yeah, you need it. Yeah, so that's important. Um, but when it comes to other people working on on certain things, um, unless unless there's big project we're working on and we're, you know, scoping and we're, we're building and then we're testing all in the same thing. Well, you know, there's, there's obviously time and place for that, but sometimes with product productivity, it's, it's actually more efficient to do it the other way. So yeah. I know, you, I know your take on it, but there's, I think it's just finding the right balance. Well, I'm open to all. I'm, I mean, I know that it's also incredibly, an incredibly good thing for the workforce and for many people and, and, and for many companies. So I'm, I'm not anti work from home. I just don't think it works from my for my style of leadership and and, right. and for our team culture. That, but then again, you know, I don't know what the future the future is going to bring, especially with you know development staff for Boa and things like that. You know, mm. maybe I maybe we'll do that. I can't imagine it, but, but yeah. I'm not close to it. My my, I just have a lot of fears about it. And I thought if it really was the better way to do things, the big giant companies wouldn't be trying to call everyone back to the offices. Yeah, yeah. They would be saying, you know what, guys, this is a great idea. This is working excellent. We're going to get rid of all the offices because we don't need them because this is just excellent. Yeah, yeah that will reduce our costs dramatically. Um, well, they, they have. They have. I don't yeah. know about that. Well, the no, the like I've got a well, – Even Zoom has called these people back to the office <laughs> three days. No, they, they're still they're calling them in, but yeah. I got, we've got a, a, a client that delivers um, all the office uh, like fruit – and uh, milk and coffee, and they're at fifty percent. Like, so their business has, has diversified into other areas of products because they needed to because office um, attendance that fifty percent. So they're doing things like customers like you know Amazon and QBE and Canva. They they've said that it's yeah, 50, Canva is yeah yeah fifty percent um, attendance, which you know I think it's I think it's um, I think it's here to stay, but depending on leadership. And 
you know, plans and, and, and goals, that will change from yeah. what you said. But I think that's just the, yeah, the, the productivity. My guess, my guess, and it is just a guess, is that it will be here until the next recession mm. and then it will be gone other than for the companies who um, benefit from reduced costs caused by work from home. Yeah. That will be my guess. Um, but then again, I could be very wrong because there's so many of my friends run very great remote remote teams. So I'm not I'm not against it. I've warmed up to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop talking about it right now. Um, we do have to. Uh, we're, we're about at time to wrap up. But but is there? We normally finish with like a book recommendation or or greatest lesson in business. Do you have a favorite book? Do you read much? I read. Yeah, I read. I also. Listen more probably just because. Would you uh, have a favorite podcast or? I, I mean, my favorite book is probably Relentless, um, just because it, it it sort of, um, yeah it 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 basically is what I th- how I approach a lot a lot of my life. Um, what was the key lesson of the book? Well, it's just around you know, finding always finding a way, no matter what, and I think it's you know, um, he was the. The, the the trainer of Kobe Bryant and it was just talking about how he, you know, was a cleaner, which basically just he showed up every day, didn't have any excuses, whatever the situation was, you overcome it, you just get up and go, get up and go, get up and go. So I think that was a big, big sort of uh, it it sung home to me just because of, you know, my approach to things. You know, when you can you can always sit there and, you know, find what's wrong, but always you can always find what's right as well. So it's just trying to look for what's right and just going after that. So that's a that's a big thing for me. I also think it's one of the biggest lessons in business, which is there is always a way. Mm. Like, you know, your whole journey of your business was just finding the way, you know, finding a way to stay in business too long enough to actually build a product, find a way to make that product valuable to people, find the product market fit. You know, mm. there's, you just found the way the whole, <laughs> the whole way and, and, You've gotten to a point where it's like, well, we have a great product. We've got a great team. We know our market. Yeah, it's time to rock. Mm. And and I think that's a, a that's a great lesson. So to our um, uh, incredible listeners, if you want to get in contact with Lawrence, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and find uh, uh, his information there as well as uh, favorite questions quote, lessons in business, and more book recommendations. You'll also find a bunch of stuff from our other guests. Um, if you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business. On Instagram, it's equal, equally as awesome. You are a legend. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show.